Awesome. Um, well, welcome, Brian, to uh, For the Love of AEW, and thank you so much for, for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, it's just a great opportunity to talk about AEW and kind of how I got here as a fan and uh, what uh, what led up to this point of, of every Wednesday night being dedicated to Dynamite. Now. <laughs> That's, yeah, my God, that already sounds so familiar to me. Um, so, uh, Brian, part of what I'm trying to do is, um, like, catalogue, like, take a snapshot in time of this special moment in wrestling history. Mm-hmm. And it just feels to me like a really special time um, I'm just enjoying wrestling so much and I can just feel the special energy surrounding AEW at the moment, which I think we as fans, we sort of hold that in common, don't we? Um, but yeah, I'm also trying to capture like the geographic spread of AEW's fandom. So would you mind just starting uh, by telling us like where you're from, if you don't mind sharing uh, that? Sure, yes. So I'm, uh, I live in, in Carrollton, Georgia, in the United States. I'm a Georgia native, grew up in the southern United States and um, so and all that that entailed from a wrestling standpoint, and, and we'll get into that in a little bit. I'm, I'm a big uh, I'm a big believer that context is important when we look at wrestling fandom, whether it be AEW or, or WWE or whatever someone's a fan of. I think that how you grow up around wrestling and the context of that really helps to set the stage for what you enjoy as an adult. But uh, but yes, um, like I said, grew up in, in Georgia here in the United States and, and live in. And just west of Atlanta now, about an hour or so west of Atlanta, uh, kind of for a little bit of reference point there. But yes, sir. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, and to just dive straight in then to, to one of the questions you've already sort of prompted it yourself, which is um, like, how and when did you find out about EW? Like how, what was the journey that sort of led you to being aware that this was a thing? So I was um, I was the the quintessential lapsed fan as a wrestling fan. Um, I had not watched weekly professional wrestling since WCW went out of business in 2001. So with the exception of uh, just a few weeks of the Sting and Mr. Anderson feud in, in TNA back in 2011, whatever it was. Um, so I had not been watching wrestling, was not around wrestling at all. But still had a lot of friends who who watched the WWE and or were kind of in were attending shows and went to WrestleMania here in Atlanta a few years back and so they were still pretty heavily into it. Uh, so when AEW had their press conference announcing the TNT deal, announcing that they were going to be returning to television on TNT with professional wrestling in October of of 2019, uh, so that press conference was what early 2019, January, February, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, heard about it then. And it kind of piqued my interest, and I was like, okay, because I recognized the Cody Rhodes. Uh, growing up as a, as a kid, I was a huge Dusty Rhodes fan. And so that I recognized Cody and Dustin and kind of started putting some pieces together. I go, okay, this might be something I'll be interested in uh, when it hits the air. And, and then I think um, once Double or Nothing happened in 2019, and I started – I didn't order Double or Nothing live. I didn't watch it live. But the next day I started seeing clips. I started watching matches on YouTube and, like, it just awakened to that. And then I watched wrestling again for the first time in, in almost 20 years at that point. That's so funny. That That's the second time in a row that that number 20 years has come up. Um, I was talking to Jay Wilde over the weekend, mm-hmm. and that was exactly her gap. And that is also my gap. My mm-hmm. last wrestling pay-per-view prior to All Out 2019 was WrestleMania 2001. So, okay. 
that's really really interesting that that's come up a few times. WCW Greed, I believe, was the last pay-per-view that I had bought prior to um, well, All Out in 2019. was the first first AEW pay-per-view that I purchased. I said I watched some highlights of Double or Nothing uh, on YouTube the next morning and uh, attended uh, attended Fighter Fest. That was my first live wrestling show in over 20 years. Was Fighter Fest 2019 in Daytona Beach and. That was just, it was a great time. It was a great catalyst for getting me back into, into wrestling and into AEW specifically. Because uh, mm-hmm. I took a couple of my friends to that show and we just made a, a road trip out of it, kind of a, a boys weekend and um, drove down to Daytona Beach and, and had no idea who any of the performers were. I didn't at least. I knew who Cody was and like um, the guys that were with me, they recognized John Moxley and Sean Spears from their time in, in WWE, but I had no idea who any of these people were. You didn't know. Uh, you didn't know who Moxley was. Seriously, I had no idea. I had oh my no, god! I had, I had no <laughs> idea. Um, so like when he came out, I think he wrestled. He wrestled Joey Janela that night in a lights out match. And I was like, oh, this is pretty awesome. I have no idea who these people are, but this is great. You know, and I just enjoyed the atmosphere and being back in the crowd again. And um, I was I was in Atlanta the night that that Bill Goldberg beat Hollywood Hogan for the WCW Championship, and being back in, in the AEW shows was the first time I felt that same energy hmm. in the crowd. And that was a, just a huge watershed moment that night for WCW, 41,000 people in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. And, you know, Goldberg wins, the whole place goes crazy. Mm-hmm. I felt that same kind of energy from the AEW crowd. So that, that was really cool. And it helped pull me back in. And um, what, there's so many things that you said that I want to talk about, but I'd like to dwell for a minute on, um, so that's a big gap between a WCW pay-per-view and then an AEW one. Like, was there any particular reason that you fell out of wrestling? Was it just that time in your life where it seemed less interesting or was it a non-WCW thing or, or what was it? Really, it was, uh, it, it was really directly tied to the, the death of WCW. Um, mm. I have, and, and so when I when I started, or I got back into watching wrestling, watching AEW specifically, it sort of opened the door a little bit for me to to explore. So I, I bought a few uh, PWG Blu-rays, and I bought some Ring of Honor stuff, and I started watching. I started watching where a lot of the current AEW roster came from, and seeing their progression and their careers because that was interesting to me. Because I can honestly say I've not watched. Um, WWF or WWE programming since the early 1990s. Uh, probably since the steroid trial is the la- in 1994. Around that era was the last time that I regularly watched uh, WWE, WWF programming. So if I was at a friend's house and they had it on and it was whatever, if it was on, it was on. And I probably went to a couple of WrestleMania parties here and there with friends. But I, I, I grew up you know, Hulkamania, like I, I watched that era, the, the early, I'm, I'm 42 years old, so I was born in 1978. So I grew up at the peak of Hulkamania there in the mid, mid 1980s and Ultimate Warrior and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And like, and I love those guys. But at the same time, I was watching championship wrestling from Florida with Dusty Rhodes and Kevin Sullivan. I was watching Jim Crockett promotions with Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen and all those guys. And so that led me to WCW. And then it was in the early 90s, um, probably the first time I stopped watching wrestling was right around the time of the, the WWF steroid trial. And at the same time, WCW was just putting on awful product. I mean, they trotted out <laughs> one night and 
they had staying on a de- deserted island with you know terrorists trying to blow him up it was stuff so i stopped <laughs> watching and uh the nwo era when the nwo angle started in may of 1996 um i was in high school then and so i had a group of friends we got together every monday night and we watched nitro and that carried on from 1996 until 2001. There were always at least three or four of us who got together every Monday night and watched Nitro, and we ordered every pay per view. And so for about five years there, throughout college, that that was that was our Monday nights and one Sunday night a month. We had this group of people that that's what we did. And WCW was sort of the glue that held us together as friends. And after that last Nitro, we all just sort of scattered and stopped hanging out. And as weird as it sounds. I blamed Vince McMahon and the WWE for breaking up a group of friends because we didn't have our thing anymore. We didn't have a glue anymore. And yeah. so I, just, I got out of wrestling completely. I just, uh, I didn't know who the WWE performers were. Even at the height of the Attitude Era, I wasn't watching it. I mean, mm-hmm. I knew who Rock was, obviously, and Stone Cold and the mm-hmm. big names because they, they just, they transcended everything. Everybody knew who they were at that time. Uh, but I never got into the storylines, never really watched it. And, the one thing that uh, that I did continue to follow for four or five years there, um, NWA Wildside was a, a small independent promotion in Georgia. It was it came from the Georgia Championship Wrestling to NWA Georgia, and then uh, Bill Barons, who's actually a producer at, at Impact Wrestling now, mm-hmm. uh, started NWA Wildside, and that's where AJ Styles got his start. Uh, it was in this little like one room, hundred seat auditorium. Mm-hmm in rural Northeast Georgia. And so they ran Friday night TV tapings and Saturday night house shows. And we would go nearly every weekend to those shows and hang out. Me and a couple, me and my nephews and a couple of friends, we'd go and watch those shows. And that was the one thing that I stayed kind of engaged in and then uh, followed AJ Styles career for a few years after that into impact and everything. But uh, yeah, big, big gap there as far as weekly must see TV when it came mm. to it's, it's really interesting to hear your story, eh, Brian, because I think eh, in the UK, eh, WWF just marketed themselves so brilliantly. And in retrospect, I can see that now. It's like the sort of 10-year-old myself in the playground mm-hmm. and seeing kids exchanging videos and mm-hmm. looking at magazines and stuff. And it was right. like WCW was just never there. Right. And it was just, they obviously just had this amazing marketing machine, which resulted in kids in the north of the UK being aware of pro wrestling being a thing. Right. Um, so that's really, really interesting to hear the sort of flip side of that coin. Of right. Like, you know, you're just not that, not even that right. aware of WWE. Right. Well, I, I grew up in a, I grew up in, a, in an NWA, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions heavy area in that. Yeah. We ran, they ran one or two spot shows a year at my high school gym. So as a kid, eight, nine, 10 years old, twice a year, I'm going to see Ric Flair and Nikita Koloff and the Rock and Roll Express at my high school gym. Um, went to one, one WWF house show when I was uh, probably 10 or 11 years old. Um, and it's, it's odd because I, I found, I went back recently and found the newspaper clippings, the, the advertisement for that particular show. And it was uh, Rick Rude versus Jake the Snake Roberts and Ted DiBiase versus uh, Jim Duggan was the co-main event. Uh, It was in 1988 um, in Greenville, South Carolina. I remember going with my parents and uh, Jake, of course, dropped the snake on the floor and everybody in the front row jumped up on their chair 
and freaked out trying to get away from it. You know, now, I, I remember those, those things like that, but uh, that was that was the only was the only WWF event I ever attended was a house show in, in 1988 when I was about nine years, nine or 10 years old and uh, probably mm-hmm. went 25 or 30 WCW shows through the years. And I've been yeah. at this point to, I think nine, uh, nine or 10 AEW live events already in their short history. So it's been, I think I saw Did I see you in the crowd a couple of shows ago? I thought I saw you in the crowd. I thought I recognized you. It's was it, was it maybe the one uh, before flooding? I, I, the one leading I haven't been flooding I haven't been to any of the more recent shows. The last oh, show okay. was uh, the last one I attended was Revolution. Um, yeah. I'm in the process of, of selling my house and moving right now, so everything's getting really hectic, and I'm probably going to have to miss Double or Nothing because of that. I really wanted to go to Double or Nothing and be a part of that crowd. Uh, but I, I was at Revolution. Um, I was at uh, Winter is Coming. Mm. Such a huge, just just mark out moment when Sting did. When Sting came out, oh my being god! In, being in the crowd for that, it was just that was so great. That was uh, that was one of the that was one of the first times that I've just like had that like just yes. visceral emotional reaction to something that I didn't see coming, that yeah. I didn't expect at all. That was it was great. So, it was such a special moment for him, for me as well. Even though I was watching, you know, I was mm-hmm. watching the next morning like on mm-hmm. the fight app. Um, when Sting came out, like you see, it was just so unexpected. And mm-hmm. I think as well here, uh, like the COVID situation was really bad at that time. There was a lot of like, you know, everyone was not in a very good place mentally. Right. And just to see Sting, just like right. here, like, and I love the music as well leading up to it. Because I was like, what's this, what's this, what's this? <laughs> and he comes out in the crowd. So that was the first time he heard the crowd in such a long oh, time as well. Great. You it could feel great. the energy just came right out of the yeah. screen. And what yeah. a phenomenal... Uh, feeling that they managed to generate um yeah. which sort of brings me on to my next question which is yes. um I, I think i think we all sort of like love aw for slightly different reasons um i think that's actually one of its strengths is it's sort of it's an incredibly diverse promotion i think mm-hmm. um and but one one of the things i'm really really keen to hear about is people's personal takes on what makes aew so special for them right uh, I think for me personally, and it kind of goes back to the the context that I was I was building earlier, that it's a connection. It's a connection for me back to the past. It's con- to an extent. It's a connection to those Jim Crockett promotions, championship wrestling from Florida, uh, world class championship wrestling. That those promotions were very heavily um, character driven, but they were realistic characters. It was it was the Dusty Rhodes, the Ric Flair, the Kerry Von Erichs, and you had you had guys who were great promos, but who also had excellent in ring ability, mm-hmm. and the promos were just they were like AEW is now, primarily unscripted, very very raw. You get a lot of the emotion from the individuals. You get you know I, I love John Moxley and Eddie Kingston's promos oh, now. Yeah. They're bantering back and forth with each other. Yep. It, it's so great, and for me, I think that the first couple of months of AEW television when Cody was really sort of the focus of the company. And when Cody spoke, everyone listened. Oh, for sure. And, and like right now, you know, right now you look at what Cody's Cody's got going on and there's, there's a little bit of his, his, his position, his character almost seems to be kind of in flux right now. Mm-hmm. The first couple of months, Cody's promos were some of the best mm-hmm. 
last 20 years in the business. Oh, I totally agree. It reminded me so much of watching his dad. It reminded me watch, it reminded me so much of watching Dusty, just the, the charisma, the delivery, the way he went through everything. And, and then the same with, with John Moxley and Chris Jericho and, and just the the realism of, of the promos, the just hearing the guys talk and hearing them and occasionally like, like Chris Jericho, okay, uh, recently with his promo on Wardlow uh, during the, the Pinnacle feud. Occasionally, you know, you hear a guy mess up and then recover from it and go mm-hmm. from that. And to me, that just makes it that that adds a little bit more realism. Add something to it rather than detracting from it. If if I'm watching if I'm watching a sitcom and somebody flubs the line, then you know that. Oh wait, how did that get through? This yep. was and six months ago. How did that happen? When you're yep. watching live TV and somebody flubs the line, like okay, that's understandable. I mean, I've. You know, I, I do presentations and training classes for a career, and occasionally I stumble over my words in front of a group of people. Yeah, and so I, I think I look at it that way, and like, hey, he stumbled over his words. It, it's real. It's coming live. He's not got an earpiece in. Somebody feeding him lines to say. He's coming up with this as he goes, and, and so that spontaneity of it, and just the, the way it connects with me very well in, in that regard, and then. The athleticism as well. I mean, like you mentioned, it is a very diverse promotion. You've got you've got everything from, you know, quote, body guys like Brian Cage to, you know, heel young bucks, which I, I think are phenomenal. I, yeah, I love the bucks heels. I think it's great. And then and then more traditional characters, um, like Hangman Page. I mean, ultimately he's kind of the he, he's kind of a caricature of of uh, an old western and a wrestler all in one and it works. So oh. it's just a, a lot of elements there that, that, that have drawn me into it and a lot of elements that I enjoy, enjoy watching. Yeah. I think you're so on the money with the, your take on the promos because they just feel um, just very natural to me. Like when I hear the guys speak um, and the fact that, you know, or it seems like it's coming from them rather than, something that's been written by someone else which then they have right. to deliver um t- to me that makes it more I'm, I'm going to be much more forgiving in that situation and it's more or less what you just said I think right um and, and also I guess like what you were saying about getting used to doing that because I'm sure for people who've come from places where that where they are used to being given a script right. and then delivering it that must be a huge transition for them um, like I remember listening to Brody Lee on a podcast uh, last year, and he was saying that um, you know he basically said it was really scary, because <laughs> like, like, he basically came in and he said, right, what am I doing? And they were like, well, yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, right. you're gonna you're gonna tell us what you're doing, and then you're gonna yeah. do your own promos and things like that. So, um, yeah, wow, like what a they have a lot of faith in their performers and a lot of trust. Yeah. And I, I really admire that. I think that's the sign that the hallmark of a, a good functional organization, I think, is yeah. trust your employees. Well, it's a very um, it's a very old school approach to pro wrestling. And it is sort of the uh, so I, I listened to what happened when with Tony Schiavone. Uh, week. Oh, yeah. And right now they're they're going back and they're watching 1986 uh, Jim Crockett Promotions TV and, and talking about that. And, and Shivani talks about all the time that during that era when they were doing when they were recording the promos for the for tape tv that basically you were given how much time you had and you were given a couple of bullet points on what to talk about 
and it was up to the performers to sink or swim. And yep. I think sort of the approach that AEW is taking is, you know, hey, you've got three minutes and your next match is with Darby Allen. Go set. <laughs> and, that sort of thing. and that's that's very much the again going back to Dusty Rhodes, that was the Dusty approach to TV when he was running when he was running the book for WCW, it was very much of you've got three minutes, your next match is Ron Garvin. Go talk about it, go sell it. And yeah, I think it it, it really does it opens up the character so much more. It opens up uh it brings up the individuality of, of performers. Like guy okay, for years I could not stand Chris Jericho. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't heel heat it was like go away heat i yeah. did not like chris jericho i didn't yeah. like jericho in wcw i didn't like it when he left i just like i just like i was like i don't understand how this guy is so popular mm-hmm. and watching week after week at aew and chris jericho is is top three for me now all oh. time performers like, i just like, i finally started to appreciate <laughs> like oh man this guy's been great all these years <laughs> like a fine wine yeah, <laughs> he's one. He's one of my favorites as well, and I also think that, um, like looking back on it, he is one of the most important signings for right at the start yes. of the promotion because oh, he, uh, well, I mean, Cody did a huge amount as well, but um, the work he put in to legitimize mm-hmm. the EU, the EW title as a legitimate, yeah. like you know, prestigious belt. Like, there's yeah. no more prestigious title in world wrestling right now. Right. Um, right. And the work that he put in to like establish that, right. um, that's that's to me is like going to be one of his big legacies when he does finally hang up his boots. Like what phenomenal yeah. work in the early. I, I agree, one hundred percent. I think that I think that Chris Jericho um, deserves so much more credit than he's probably going to get uh, for what he has done for AEW. At least within the AEW fan base, he will always mm-hmm. get the credit. But I think um, the detractors from the outside, particularly the people who have never given AEW a chance, yeah. will only look at it as a way to discredit Jericho's career at the end and saying, well, he, he left, he should have stayed, he should have done this and that. Ooh, no, if you listen, and if you listen to Jericho talk on, on Talk of Jericho, some of the different things in his podcast and everything, he really, he, he expresses that, that he wanted to be a part of something different. He wanted mm-hmm. to do something different. And I'm sure that, you know, there he's he's a performer he's a rock star and a professional wrestler and i'm sure that his ego is off the charts and that he wanted to go out and create something new to help help feed his own his own aura and his sure. own, and that's yeah. fine when you're a creative person like that and that's how you that's how you make your living then that's what motivates you and drives you and, and i think that's great and, and guys like Brody lee and, and the others who have came over have, have been a uh, like I look at that, um, there's so many people that, that want to detract and say, oh, all the champions used to work for WWE. Okay, well, all the WWE champions work somewhere else too. You know, UG champions or go back far enough, they were ECW or WCW champions. So everybody comes from somewhere in this business. I mean, there's not, there's not a whole lot of Jungle Boys and Hangman Pages out there who have never had a big break until now. I actually kind of feel like they've always, to me, been quite careful with their choices of high-profile matches. Like, I always remember the very first match on Dynamite. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, they'd made all these incredibly high-profile signings, some Mm -hmm. of the best wrestlers in the world. And, like, Sammy Guevara, like, was in the first match. Right, right. And that was a... I I still go back, like, every few months and watch that match. That's one of my favorite matches of all time. And to to me, they've actually managed to, like walk that fine line 
mm-hmm. like taking advantage of the great like creative talents of people like Jericho, right. yep. and also like helping to put the new guys, you know, bring the new guys up. Well, I think they did a great job of of presenting those talents early on and presenting them as legitimate talents, yep. so they had the opportunity to to again sink or swim. And Sammy Guevara is a great example of a guy who was put in that position and they had to tweak it a little bit, get rid of the panda head and, and you know, kind of tweak it. <laughs> but it's working. And Sammy, Sammy's going to be a huge payoff in the future uh, for AEW. He's, he's going to, I think he's going to be a guy who will be a cornerstone of the promotion for years to come. And at the same time, you look at very early on, we saw a lot of Kip Sabian. We saw a lot of Joey Janela. And it didn't didn't necessarily land with as much of the audience. And we've seen them walk those guys back a little bit, change what they're doing. Kip's yep. getting Kip's got a lot more airtime in the last few months with the Miro angle. And um, I personally, I, I love Joey Janela. Joey's one of my favorite entertainers, um, just because he's so reckless. Yeah. But there, and but that that requires a, a certain angle and a certain person to, to work with, and. And he has had a lot of opportunities to do that. I thought his feud with Jimmy Havoc was was incredible. Yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, it's Cracker Barrel match. Bash, uh, it was a great match. At some point, he had a three way match. Was it the Cracker Barrel match with Darby Allen that you're talking about? The three way. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was, was brilliant, and and yeah. I was not expecting to like that match at all. Right. Um, but <laughs> it was it was fantastic. I, I think you're right, and um, I guess like. Uh, the sort of format of weekly television isn't going to suit everyone as well. Like that's the thing. Like and uh, like to me, the only way that you find out is like you say to put people in that position and just see how they do, um, yeah. and to give people a chance. Yeah, um, but yeah, I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions now. Okay, uh, yeah. I've already changed my question format in response <laughs> to like the first one I've done. So instead of asking you what's your favorite AEW match, I'm going to ask you what's your top three AEW matches. Oh man! And maybe tell tell us why for each one. No, number one uh, for me is still the the Revolution Tag Match, mm. uh, Bucks versus Kenny oh. and Hangman. Um, I'm a huge fan of tag team wrestling. It's one of the things that that really enamored me with AEW, and and that goes back to the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express and and those great feuds that they had. And there's just so many ways to build heat within a tag team match. You get the the typical two on ones and, and, you know, one half of the baby face team selling on the floor while his partner gets beat down. And then you get the hot tag and the comeback. And it's just, it's great storytelling in those matches. And that match, especially now that we're seeing it pay off with when the young bucks did not pull the trigger on the BTE trigger on Kenny. Yep. And when they, they, you know, chose their friend over winning the belts that night. Mm-hmm. And now we see them rejoining Kenny and, mm-hmm the way it's all kind of came full circle in the long-term storytelling there. So mm-hmm. that match for me uh, still stands at the top. Um, I, I think kind of caught me off guard there trying to come up with three real quick. That's all right. The, the John Moxley, Brody Lee. Uh, oh yeah. John Moxley and Brody Lee. Um, in the moment when I was watching that match, I didn't think, man, this is a, this is one of the top matches I've seen in AEW, but looking back at it now and, and losing Brody as quickly as, as we did and, uh, not getting more out of his career, not getting to see more of his career as he went forward. Uh, so that one, that one sticks there now because I think it was the best example of. I loved his squash match with Cody too. I loved, oh. I loved that match. Perfect. It was such perfect booking of oh. putting him over as this monster again. 
But uh, John Moxley came out so strong in in that match against Brody Lee and, and that feud. And so that one's that one's up there for me. Um, oh man. Well, while you're thinking about the third one, I'll just yeah. say a few words about that match because yes, that absolutely. match, like again, like looking back on it, like what a crucial match, like in the history of like AEW, like a pandemic show, like mm-hmm. trying to get over a pandemic show without a crowd there, right? Um, like so many of the roster couldn't make it, <laughs> like, right. mm-hmm. um, and you know a lot of people saying like, well, what does this mean for the future of like you know the television deal and stuff if they can't right. like, do it and stuff? Right. Like what? Like again, just to sort of like legitimize and put over the top oh. that these get what these guys are doing. Like Brody worked his arse off in yeah. that stint. Like he was always there, yeah. and he was brilliant every week. Yep. Um, and like you say, like obviously things like were, were turned really horrible after that. But mm-hmm. what respect, like right. Brody has from everyone, like off yep. the back of that, like what a phenomenal yep. achievement for him. Yeah, I think that's one of those that, that, in hindsight, you know, looking back at it after losing Brody, you think, man, that was just a. That was that was just a great moment, a great showcase for for him and and for for Moxley in that situation. It was. I can't believe that I almost let this one slip my mind because it's it, it's it's the ultimately the starting point of my AEW fandom was Cody versus Dustin. Oh, like I, I can't believe I almost let that slip my mind. <laughs> match that was the match that got me watching a that got me interested and got because I woke up. The morning after Double or Nothing, I didn't. Like I said, said before I didn't watch the show. Um, I woke up the morning after, and my social media were just filled with people talking about that match. Mm-hmm. I went and found I found the full match on YouTube. Yep, sat down and watched it, and it was just like it was Sunday morning. Uh, my wife and kids weren't up yet. I was sitting in the living room watching it, and my wife comes downstairs just as Cody is, you know. I don't need a partner. I need my big oh. And oh. I'm sitting on the couch with a couple of tears running down oh. my face. Yeah. There's these two bloody guys hugging. And oh. like, what are you watching and why are you crying? <laughs> I was like, it's Cody Rhodes versus Dustin Rhodes, and I can't explain it to you. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah. So, so uh, I mean, I can't. It's really hard to put into words like that. You know, that match is such a special match. Mm. Um I was the same. I didn't watch it. I watched it in retrospect. Mm-hmm. Um, but how they built that, like within that time, because I don't think it had a huge build or anything like that either, because yeah. obviously they didn't have dynamite at the time to build a feud. So right. how, like from a standing start, they, yeah. within the body of a match, like told mm-hmm. an entire self-contained mm-hmm. story? I really did. It, it was It was very much... Double or Nothing is almost like an independent spot show in that yeah. there there was no build. There now they, they I know they did some builds. They were showing up at PWG PT. different uh, and on diff, they were showing up at different indie shows and, and building angles towards it. But but Cody and Dustin was just it was it was a three act play in one match it, masterpiece. It was, it was all together. It was great. It was, yeah. uh, masterpiece. That was definitely that was the match that that drew me back in for sure. It'll it'll stand the test of time. That match, there'll be people watching that match in like thirty mm-hmm. years time, oh, yeah. like yeah. writing essays about it and stuff like that. Yep. Um. So next question, Brian, is um, who's your favorite AEW star and why? I think right now, and this answer probably has changed two or three times throughout yep. the throughout the transition, but <laughs> um, 
I'll, I'll give you two. I'll give you my, my favorite to watch and my favorite performer in, yep. in AEW. My favorite performer in AEW is, is Max, is MJF. Um, oh, yeah. Just because he, he is so good in that old school heel role. Mm-hmm. I, you know, personally, like I, as a character, I would never want to be in a room with him. That, <laughs> right. That's his job. And he does it so well. Um, so he's probably my favorite outright performer and outright character in AEW right now. Is, is, I, I, I want to share a little MGF related anecdote before you move on. Um, so my son, my five-year-old, like watches wrestling with me. I have to be careful what to show him because my wife's not right. blood and stuff right. right there. But anyway, so we're watching MGF, one of MGF's indie shows, and he's mm-hmm. blowing off the kids in the front of the crowd. And my son's like that to me, Daddy, who is that? I was like, oh, it's MGF. He's like, Daddy, if we when we go to watch AEW, I don't want to go in the front row. <laughs> I don't want to be you, MGF. <laughs> so mission accomplished there. That's great. Mate. Right, right. Now he's he's very good at what he does. Um, he is. He is. He's a master. My my overall favorite in AEW, um, and I, I tend to gravitate towards heels, so it's probably Kenny Omega now. Um, yeah. Heel Omega has, has been great. It's added so much depth to his character. Mm. Uh, you know, I got, I love Hangman Page, and and oh, yeah. always fun to watch. And Darby Allen's such a great story. I can listen to him on podcasts talking about. Yep living out of his car in Atlanta and um, cooking, carrying his George Foreman grill into the gym at two in the morning, cooking proteins for the week in the bathroom of the gym. And like those, those kinds of things are like, like, wow. And he's overcame so much to get to that point, but just from a pure entertainment standpoint, um, I think Kenny Omega is probably, probably my favorite in the business right now. So uh, I have to, Omega's already come up in a few of the chats I've had with people. Like what do you what do you make of like the criticism of heel Omega? Like people saying, "Oh, he's you know his promo game is weak," or right. he, he doesn't know how to play a heel. He he um right. he doesn't know how to generate heel heat, right. or he's right. be or he's too clever for his own good. He's playing a caricature of a heel, <laughs> and that right. doesn't work because he's too clever. Because the audience is right. too stupid to understand. Like what do you like? What do you think of those criticisms? Are those just like a load of rubbish, as far as you're concerned? Yeah, or? yeah I think it's um, I think it's a product of the wrestling environment to an extent. I think so many wrestling fans have such a large portion of the casual audience of the general audience has grown up with one thing in terms of a stylistic presentation. It's, it's yep. been Kevin Dunn, Vincent McMahon, how they want to see wrestling, right? And to me, uh, and obviously Kenny Omega is not that. But, and again, for me, it goes back to so much of it, the the mid-80s and late 80s and Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen and the way they carried themselves. And when I see Kenny Omega stepping out of a limo in a, in a tailored suit with the, with the gold nugget watch hanging out from <laughs> it just, and, and the hair, the, the Ray-Bans, the aviators, it just reminds me so much of heel Ric Flair. Yep. And, and if you, you know, if, if you've studied wrestling and go back to that era of wrestling, Ric Flair was a problem for promoters because no matter what they did in North and South Carolina, Ric Flair was a baby face. <laughs> How dastardly he was. He was always going to be a babyface in the Carolinas. Yeah. Break break Dusty Rhodes' leg in Atlanta, and he's a heel in Atlanta, but he's a babyface in Greenville and Charlotte. 
And I think some of that with Kenny Omega bleeds through and that you have so many people who followed his career from, from Japan and, and everything and mm-hmm. have, and are always going to view him as the goofy guy who wrestled a blow up doll. Yeah. They're always going to view him as, as, you know, finger trigger guy and never going to take him seriously as a heel, but mm-hmm. his heel work, in my opinion, has been, has been better in the ring a lot of times than in the promos. Yeah. When you start seeing the, you know, the cheating tactics and things and yeah. what, what I need to see from Kenny Omega as a heel is going to be a payoff against Hangman. Mm-hmm. So just a brutal payoff against mm-hmm. Hangman. Mm-hmm. And then eventually Hangman's come up and some, you know, mm-hmm. get revenge against him. But that, I think that was cement Omega's heel run is some sort of a, a brutality against Hangman Page because he's probably the biggest baby face in the company. Yeah. Uh, if not by accident, if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. It's a really interesting take on Omega. He's such a, yeah, he's such a multifarious figure like i think because he's done all this stuff in the past like you said in new japan and in other promotions right. and he's because he's sort of like he's not in the mold at all of right. like you know like what i don't know what we're conditioned to think a wrestler should be right. or something. um right. so no it's super interesting to hear even with your like sort of traditional like wcw wrestling background you've mm-hmm. identified omega as somebody that almost like speaks to that tradition um for months, uh, for months, when they were teasing what eventually became the pinnacle, when they were teasing that, I was on, I was on this train of Kenny Omega, FTR, yep, Tom Spears together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doc Gallus as as their JJ Dillon type as as their their manager, yeah. like I, Kenny Omega as the Ric Flair, FTR as Arn and Tully basically, and Sean Spears as you know. Barry Windham, whichever iteration of the four horsemen <laughs> off of. But I had that, like, that was the train of thought that I had for such a long period of time because I just, something about Kenny Omega just reminds me of old school player. Mm-hmm. And and I think, I think there's a little bit, of, I think, I think a little bit of that is intentional. I think Kenny's molding yeah. that a little bit because he, you know, even with the, the North Carolina thing and the introduction, <laughs> that stuff, you know, there's, this is so over the top. And I, yeah. I, I do with that. So. Um, so my next question, Brian's about 2020 as a year. Um, so this will be quite a personal thing because I know different yeah. people have had different experiences of, of, right. of lockdown and stuff. But um, I guess uh, I'm thinking about this in terms of like we've been through like quite a unique year in history and one mm-hmm. that's kind of tested us in different ways. Um, and so I'd like to ask you about how has like AEW helped you or has it helped you? like throughout this big sort of period of uncertainty that we've gone through um, and maybe just say a few words about that. Yeah. Um, I think for me, it's having, having something that I was interested in, having something that I look forward to each week, uh, just a sort of a weekly reset. Um, So in my job, my career, uh, I travel extensively uh, throughout the United States. I'm, uh, I'm in the automotive uh, aftermarket, uh, parts and repair parts for, for automobiles. And so I, um, 2018, 2019 and first quarter of 2020, I was traveling three to four nights a week on average, usually about 150 nights a year in hotels. So March 26th of 2020, my boss calls me and says, go home. Cool. Go home and don't leave the house again until we tell you to. Okay. Okay. So I was home for about 10 weeks straight. Okay. And 
So I still, I was still working from home. I mean, I wasn't yep. laid off or anything. I was still working, but I went from spending five or six hours a day in my car, driving from customer to customer or flying or whatever to yep. sitting at my desk in my yep. office eight hours a day. And so as a result of that, it gave me a lot more time. Yes. And I started, I started blogging again and started writing again. And um, that's when I, I relaunched, which I've now actually stopped. I've, I've ran out of time. I don't have time to do it anymore. But I had relaunched the, the camelclutch.com, which was a yep. wrestling-themed website that I had ran back in the late 1990s and early 2000s. And so it gave me an opportunity to really start exploring AEW a little bit more from a, a writing standpoint and blogging about it uh, by being home and as a result of COVID um, and all the lockdowns. And at the same time, uh, my wife and I began the process of adopting a 13-year-old. Uh, my wife's a teacher. It was one of her students that actually came to live with us, and we now have full legal custody. She's been with us for a little over a year now. Uh, so all that was happening at the same time. So she moved in with us, and then two weeks later, schools get called off and not yeah. from home. So we're all of a sudden, there's all four of us now in the house, our, our 13-year-old, our five-year-old daughter, my wife and myself. And yep. um, so for me, and to this day still, every Wednesday night when, when Dynamite's on the air, if I'm home, I'm sitting here in my office. Um, I've got a big screen TV mounted, mounted at my desk. And I sit in my office every Wednesday night and I have a couple of beers and I watch Dynamite. And that's just my, that's my time to myself, yep. my time to unwind. Yeah. So that for me, it, AEW helped to sort of keep me grounded in that way during all this time because it gave me an escape. It gave me something to get out and do. And then on the back end, as the United States starts to open, has started to open back up a lot more, um, Winter is Coming was the first live show I'd been to of any kind since February of 2020. So it had been two months between any kind of live events. Um, Actually, the, the the last one, the last thing I went to prior to COVID was the AEW Dynamite in Huntsville, Alabama in February of 2020. Oh, yeah. And the first thing coming out from the other side was was uh, Winter is Coming. That <laughs> sort of gave me that that light at the end of the tunnel of, hey, they've got crowds again. Mm-hmm. Can I get, when can I get something booked, to, you know, from <laughs> Florida? When can I, when can I go see some customers in Jacksonville and go to a show? <laughs> that worked out, so. Brilliant. Brilliant. No, I love the I love the booking of your work appointments around AEW schedules. I, yeah, I've done it more than once. So I, was, I, I will definitely be doing the same when uh, they come to Fulham's football stadium uh, yeah, later this year, yeah. hopefully. Um, no, that's awesome. Uh, thanks very much for sharing that, Brian. And yeah, it sounds absolutely. like you've had a sounds like you've had a busy year, by the way, mate. It, it has been, <laughs> um, and it's getting crazier right now. I am uh, I am about to take my 42 year old self and my wife and my two daughters and move in with my parents for the summer. Yep. So we, um, we're selling our home and building a new house. A uh, new house will not be ready until August mm-hmm. so about to uh, pack everything up and, and go live with my parents for the next eight weeks. And that's going to be interesting. Like the, this, this shelf behind me, all these shelves are empty. I've cleared everything out already, but uh, normally that is filled with AEW action figures. <laughs> have the full set of the unrivaled yep. figures and none of the chase and rare figures, but have all of the regular ones. And yeah. Every I've, I've, while, um, so, so they're, they're heading to your uh, mom and dad's as well then. Uh, they're actually already in storage. I've already packed them up and put them in storage at an undisclosed. Local <laughs> so nobody's trying to hack into my storage. Units. Brilliant. Um, 
yeah, um, yeah, I am. Um, I a uh, a couple of years ago, well, before we had children, actually, we had a fire, uh, and we had to move out with my parents for for two weeks. Um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, like transport yourself back to childhood. Yeah. Back to all the old yeah. patterns of behavior, yeah. even though you're in it your thirties or forties. Um, it, it's going yeah. to be very interesting. I'm going to be back in uh, back in the bedroom that I lived in in high school, you know, down in the basement of my parents' house. And that's, wow. that's, hey, there we go. I'm going to become the stereotypical wrestling fan. <laughs> in my parents' basement, right? We need to send. We need to send Jim Cornette a memo. Um, <laughs> I've got one more question for you, Brian, and, and thank you so much for your time, yes, uh, yeah. my friend. But um, one more question, and, and you, you may have answered it in some of your earlier questions, but I think we've all got one special moment that sticks out to us of like, that's my favourite moment. And it could be a pop, it could be something emotional, it could be like a, a, something unexpected. Like what for you is like your your moment, your special moment in AEW? Uh, I think... Uh... Sting's debut. Oh yeah, yeah. Debut at Winter is Coming. That was just—it was so out of the blue. I mean, there were all the rumors circulating that hey, Sting may be coming in, etc. But it was just so out of nowhere. And being there live and being in the, in the arena that night and seeing it—that was, that was, that was a, a tremendous moment. I, I definitely uh, the Fighter Fest 2019 was a great great night for me as well because like I said I was there with a couple of great friends of mine and we just uh we made a weekend trip out of it and the whole show was just so much fun but but Sting's debut and also the Fighter Fest thing um it was in the same building as Bash at the Beach 96 when Hollywood Hogan turned and joined the NWO ah. so it's a little bit a little bit of a nostalgia factor for me too so it was the first time I'd been in that building in 20 years I'd attended oh. the WCW Nitro back there in, in Daytona at the Ocean Center um, so that was, that was really cool. But, uh, you know, the hardest thing, um, has, has to have been the Brody Lee tribute show. Oh, God, it yeah. was so touching and, and so needed and so incredible that it was yeah. so, so yeah. difficult. And like, I remember that night, um, I was sitting in my office, uh, as I do every Wednesday night, sitting here at my desk and I just completely broke down at the end of the show. Yeah. I text my wife. I was like, I need, I need you to come up here. And, yeah wife walks in and she's like are you crying and wrestling again and i start telling her the whole story of brody and, yeah. like, and then she's sitting in the floor next to me crying and it's like yeah. Go, we got to get it together now i get to the end I of the show so I, yeah, well uh, you did better than me last until the end of the show like i i was crying like continuously yeah. for two hours it um, was it was so difficult but so needed and it was, was family and it was it was special. It was a very special two hours. I'll never ever forget those two hours ever. Um, I'll always remember Ten and John Silver. The two things I'll remember from that: John Silver mm-hmm. hitting the the discus lariat and mm-hmm. uh, the post match, and and Ten just like trying to hold it together in the main event. You'll yeah. always you'll always yeah. be a bit special to me, Ten, like because yeah. of that. Yeah, um, it was that was a that was a very unique time, and not something that not something you, you, you're accustomed to seeing in wrestling not something and really anywhere, any form of sports entertainment, you don't normally see that, that much raw emotion. And then the way it came over to, to BTE for the next few weeks and, and even continue with dynamite with it. I mean, it, it changed the booking the motion from, from Brody Lee's death changed the booking. It, it made the dark order baby faces overnight 
regardless of where the storylines were headed. It was like all of a sudden we're all sympathetic to these guys. That's right. And That's it's right. like, oh wow, you know. And, and I think as well that will that will endure as well. Like I I I won't be satisfied until I see John Silver as AEW champion. Like, right, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like he must. He must. Yeah. Um because yeah. that because that was a, just a like you say, it's now, a special moment that changed things. Every time that uh, the Jazz Wears or Ringside Collectibles ask, hey, what should be our next exclusive? I'm like, a Dark Order 10-pack, a Dark Order box set. Like, <laughs> dark Order, you know? Yep. They would shift a, a lot of Dark Order, like full oh, Dark yeah. Order figure sets. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Anyway, this anyway, has been such a pleasure Brian, yeah, and I know I know you're a busy man, so I, I appreciate your time so much, mate. Yeah, and um, absolutely. also, just like so cool to meet you after following you on Twitter for for a couple of years. Um, yeah, likewise, likewise. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, I, like I said, I hope I hope this goes well for you, and the rest of your interviews go well, and uh, look forward to hearing the finished product. Thank you very much, mate. I'll be sure to send you over the MP3 as soon as I can get my Arson gear absolutely. to edit it. Absolutely. Have a good day, man. Hope the move goes well. Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thanks, Ryan. Right. Bye.